So this morning, uh, last week, Jeff pulled off another one of his classic one of these. Not a very cheerful groom, are you? I'll be perfectly happy to spend my honeymoon in the Batcave. <clears throat> Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today, Batman to become a henpecked husband, and Mrs. Batman, Gotham City's arch-criminals. Do you, Marsha, take this Batman to be your lawful wedded husband? To love, honor, and obey as long as you both shall live? I do. And do you, Batman, take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? To love, honor, and cherish as long as you shall live? I... I... Say I do. I... Mr. and Mrs. Batman, the dynamic duo may become a trio. The Queen of Diamonds aims high. Find out tomorrow whether she misses or misses. Same bat time, same bat channel. And hang on to your rice. You ever notice how many times Jeff does that? Like it gets you all riled up about the big spiritual cool thing that he's going to talk about like last week. And he says, OK, and we're going to discover that next week. Right. And then he schedules himself to teach a class on second service back there. So it says and next week. OK, Kevin, you take care. You know. And then in the background, I can hear. Will Daniel in the 11th hour be rescued by God from Nebuchadnezzar? Or will Daniel and his friends become headless victims of the dreamy king? Stay tuned next week. Well, here we are next week, right? Okay. So let's do... That reminds me, actually. You know, I always do a Kevin, you're a moron story. This is not really Kevin, you're a moron, because I know probably half of you probably did this. But that, that, that Batman stuff just brings back really fond memories. Uh, when we were in college, my roommate, roommates and I lived off campus in an apartment and there was this house with three apartments, so there are several of us in this complex. And uh, it just so happens that most of us had two o'clock classes. And it took us about 15 minutes or so to get from class back to home. And at 3.30 every afternoon, Batman was on. And so we would all converge in front of the TV and watch Batman. It just brings back these memories. And, of course, we couldn't just sit there and watch. You had to, like, take like beach towels and and pin them around your neck to be like capes and then jump off the couches and stuff and go bam boom pow whammy and uh so anyway that just brings back fond memories for me so as we as we pick up our story remember we're working through the book of daniel um jeff is guiding us through the ups and downs and the highs and the lows and the tragedies and the triumphs of daniel as he weaves his way through this captivity so he was taken from his homeland as a teenager uh, forced into captivity and the Babylonian Empire, uh, forced to go through this uh, indoctrination period, um, you know, highs and lows of that, because if he graduated with honors in that, that he would be given a, uh, some responsibility and a high level in the king's court. So that happened. But all through that, he's having to pick his battles on what's important to stand ground, what's not. So we've been going through that. And uh, Jeff led us up to chapter two last week, in which it tells a story of the next saga in Daniel's life. So let's recap a little bit about uh, what happened last week. So King Nebuchadnezzar has this disturbing dream. Okay. And I don't know whether he wakes up and he can't remember what the dream is. 
uh, or what? You know, if he's like me, you wake up and you had this really awesome dream and then you just can't remember what it was. It's, it's not like my wife, Kim, who she'll wake up and she'll say, hey, I had this dream. And in my dream, I was walking down the sidewalk and I remember I was wearing my really cool Ariat boots and my jeans, you know, the ones with the star on the back. And it was a partly cloudy sky and it had just woken up the sun from a, a waning gibbous moon. And all of that, I mean, and like an hour later, I'm like... <laughs> Stop it already. But I get up and I'm like, okay, so I had this really, really awesome dream and it made me laugh a whole bunch. Because I can't remember, right? So I don't know if that was the deal with Nebuchadnezzar or what, but he wakes up. He was really disturbed by this dream. And so he gathers all of his, the, the advisors, the sorcerers, the magicians, all of the advisors. And he says, here's the deal. You guys need to tell me what I dreamed and then you need to tell me what it means. And they all said... That can't be done. There's no way. Are, are you kidding me? If you tell us what the dream is, we could probably interpret it. But there's nobody on earth that can tell you what you dreamed and read your mind. And he just gets furious, loses it and says, OK, here's the deal. If you can't do that off with your heads, we're going to chop off your heads, kill you. We're going to burn your house, blah, blah, blah. OK, well, Daniel and his buddies are caught up in this. Right. Because they are part of that group of advisors. And so. Uh, the, the executioner comes to Daniel and his friends at their house and says, okay, here's what the king decreed. And so it's time. And so Daniel, of course, doesn't want that to happen. And so he, uh, reasons with the guy and he says, okay, I think I can take care of this. I think I can help, but I need to go visit the king. And, and so he visits the king and he says, I think I can help, but you need to give me a day or so to figure it out. And so the king grants that. And this is where we pick up. Daniel goes back home. He prays earnestly to God. God, it's, it's the 11th hour. One more time. I need you to rescue me. I need you to tell me and interpret this dream for me. Tell me what it is so I can go back to the king. As I was uh, uh, preparing for this Sunday or in the last couple of weeks or so, I was reminded by, you know, the Kevin, you're a moron thing. That was a tradition I had back in the, my previous church. So every Sunday when I would preach, I had that kind of a story to drive home a point. But I was remi- uh, reminded myself of another tradition that I had. I totally had forgotten, but it was the tradition called the phrase that pays. And so I would tell the the people of the uh, of the church there, I would say, OK, toward the end, if you haven't heard a word I've said for the last 20 or 25 minutes, remember this, the phrase that pays. Okay. This is like the big idea, the phrase that pays last week. I was sitting back there and I was listening to, uh, Jeff and I was listening kind of with that in mind and was listening for the phrase that pays so that I could use that, uh, this week. And I don't know if he exactly intended it for that purpose, but what I interpreted as the phrase that pays from last week was verse 28. Verse 28 says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Okay. Daniel had gone to the king. He had said, I think I can help. Those guys were right. It is ridiculous for you to demand that a human could tell you and read your mind what your dream was. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. All right. And then Jeff expounded on all of that. The phrase that pays from last week. As a precursor for the t- today's lesson, I want you to think of two things. I want to throw two little ideas out for you to use kind of as filters as you listen to the rest of the lesson. Um, the first one is a scripture that Jeff mentioned a couple of times last night. And it kind of uh, 
it adds on to that phrase that pays that I just mentioned. Verse uh, 29 of chapter 29 of Deuteronomy says this. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may follow the words of his law. Okay, the secret things there are certain secret things that belong to God. There are other things that he reveals and those things are so that whenever here's a just as, as an aside, whenever you're reading a scripture and you and you see so that or that. That's when your ears should pop up or perk up. That's when your spiritual antenna should perk up. When the scripture says so that it means that whatever was said just before was done on purpose so that we can respond to that. Okay, so the things that are revealed to us belong to us and our children so that we can act upon them and keep them for ourselves. Okay, this verse is really profound. But it's actually very practical and it's a practical verse for us to memorize and use as a filter for when we uh, try to analyze or try to to make scripture our own Um, prophecy, as Jeff alluded to last week, is kind of a tricky thing. It's tricky in that uh, it's pretty interesting for a lot of people to kind of work their way through prophecy. It's also kind of confusing And it also, unfortunately, provides a lot of discord or possible polarization of people. And so for that reason, a lot of uh, preachers, churches are kind of scared to, to go that way or to go there. I know a lot of people. That uh, through over the years that belong to the thinking of, hey, I really I build my spiritual identity on how closely I can predict this. And I, and I, I just it immerse myself in this prophecy stuff. And, and I live that because I want to figure out what's going to happen and I want to figure out when it's going to happen and who's it going to happen. And it's going to be in my lifetime. And I, and, and I know a lot of people who kind of build up up as a, it's almost like their spiritual identity and they almost look down on people who don't you know, get into it that much as being not as spiritual or whatever. I also know some people who would rather not even go there. It's way too confusing. It's way too scary. It's way too, blah, you know, like sci-fi. And I don't even want to go there because uh, it, it just whacks me out. Okay. Of course, there's a middle ground. I think there's a, there's a moderation that we need to have there, but we have to remember that all prophecy is done on purpose. It's all so that we can, change our lives accordingly. And so we can uh, pay attention to what God has for us. Some prophecy has been fulfilled so that we can look back at that and say, oh, okay, so I, I can build my faith on that because it came true. I know that it's true. Other prophecy has not been fulfilled so that I can react and build my life structure and my ins and outs and what I, how I act according to what that teaches me. Okay, so without the so that all we're left with is tricky, confusing, interesting and polarizing. Okay, so that's why we want to talk about these things. So that scripture basically says that there are some things that are secret and are God's alone. They're his and his alone. We will never, ever figure them out. They were not intended for us to figure them out. There are other things that he reveals to us, and those things were intended for us to modify our behavior and our attitudes. Okay? 
Okay, so that's one filter I want you to use as we're going forward here. The other filter is my uh, what I've come up with as my definition of the concept of faith. This goes back four or five years ago, and uh, within the context of a very short time, maybe uh, a few weeks, I had several people come to me and ask me, so what's the, what is the, the, comp, the complex definition of faith? What does faith mean? And I realized that it's actually kind of hard to explain. Well, well, it's kind of this and it's kind of that, and, and those, that's what the people were struggling with. I don't get what it really, really means. And so I decided, you know, obviously... Yeah, that happened like three or four times, like bang, bang, bang. And I thought, well, maybe God's trying to tell me something that I, if I'm going to, to help people understand this in the future, I need to come up with a simplified way of understanding that. And so what I came up with was that faith is the ability to look forward to the hindsight. Okay, let that sink in. We know what hindsight is, right? Hindsight is looking back at the past. We have a phrase in our culture that says hindsight is 2020, right? So that means that if I look back in the past, I can see clearly what happened, okay? Because it's in the past. Let me give you an example. Uh, later today in the Super Bowl, let's say there's 10 seconds left and Atlanta's up by four and New England is driving. They're like on the 10 yard line. Obviously, Atlanta's up by four, so a field goal is not going to help. They have to score a touchdown. So Tom Brady calls timeout. He goes over to the bench. He gets in his secret locker and gets the football that he let a little bit of air out of so that his, so that his uh, receiver can catch it. Okay, so he goes back in. He calls this play, and in the play, he's going to have Gronkowski on the left and, and Edelman down the center and somebody else over here on the right. And the ball is, is hiked, and he drops back, so he chooses he throws it to the left, hopefully to Gronkowski. Atlanta intercepts the ball, pick six back and wins by 10. All right. Woohoo. Right. OK. And Brady goes home crying to mommy because he didn't win his seventh Super Bowl or whatever. So he would say that in hindsight, I should have thrown it down the middle. OK. He knows what happened. Hindsight's 2020. So in hindsight, I should have. OK. So faith to me means Something in the future is scary. Something in the future is unknown. Something in the future is unsure. I'm nervous about it or whatever. But I know for certain that at some point in the future, I will be able to look back and say, oh, so that's what you were doing, God. That's how you were working in my life for my good. Okay? So faith is the ability to look with anticipation forward to the hindsight. Okay? So those two filters... Some things are secret, some things are revealed. That's filter number one. Um, the ability to look forward to the hindsight, filter number two. So put those in your, uh, out in front of you as you're uh, listening to the rest of the lesson, okay? So here's where we uh, pick up today. Um, Daniel's standing before the king, and... Uh, He's going to reveal, he's going to tell the king what he says. So we're going to pick up in verse number 31. Your majesty looked and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue is made of pure gold. Its chest and arms were silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet were partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands, it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. 
Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were all broken into pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without even leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Okay, so strange dream, right? What does it mean? Well, Jeff uh, gave us a little bit of a, a sneak peek last week, and he said this this uh, um, was applying to earthly kingdoms. Okay, so but which kingdoms? Why, which, where, and how? All of that. In the dream, there was this huge statue, enormous statue. The head of the statue was made of gold. The chest was made of silver. The belly and the thighs were made of bronze and the legs of iron. And then the feet were of this mixture of iron and clay. You know, whenever I read parts of scripture and there's like detailed things in there, that kind of perks me up to think, okay, so that probably means something, right? The metals, the order of the metals, the fact that the feet were a mixture, that probably, there's something probably interesting in that. Okay, so let's move on. Now we're in verse number 38. Daniel continues to interpret the dream. He's told the king what the dream is. Now he's going to interpret it. Verse 38 says, in your hands, he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he's made you the ruler over all. You, king, are the head of gold. Okay, he's interpreting this to King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, of that statue, you are the head of gold. Okay, so that's. Explained. So what about the rest? He continues in verse 39. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Remember, that's inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule the earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things into pieces, so it will crush and break all of the others. Okay, so here's this force, this statue made of four different consecutive earthly kingdoms. Okay, I think it's interesting that of that statue, the materials go from from top to bottom, go from valuable to less valuable as it goes down the statue. Okay, but at the same time, as they go from valuable to less valuable, they also go from soft to hard Okay, gold is a very valuable metal, as we know, but it's a, it's a soft metal. Silver, a little bit harder, a little bit less valuable. Bronze as an alloy is a lot stronger, but harder. Iron, plentiful, but very, very hard. Okay, and then the odd mixture of the feet, which creates instability. Okay, so we know that this represents four earthly kingdoms. And the first one is Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian kingdom. So where do we go from there? Well, if you jump a few chapters ahead in in Daniel, we won't get there today, but in chapter eight, it describes who the next two are. It says that the next one is the Medo Persian empire. Okay. So the Babylonian empire ruled from five, six, 12 to five thirty nine BC. Another side note here. We're not just talking about up in the clouds, ethereal stuff. This is true history. All right. This actually happened. No debate about that. Babylonian empire ruled from 612 to 539. Chapter eight says the next one is the Medo-Persian empire, which ruled from 539 to 331 BC. A little bit less strong, but longer. All right. The next one was the Greek empire ruled by Alexander the Great from 331 to 63 BC. So we're approaching the birth of Jesus. 
All right, ruled longer. They, that would be the belly of bronze, belly and thighs of bronze. But the most, the most powerful one, the number four, is not revealed by Daniel. Okay, but he describes it. He describes it as possessing the strength of iron to crush its enemies. Well, historically, that needs to be the Roman Empire, which takes over in 63 BC, just before Jesus was born, and rules for 500 years, well into the 400s AD. All right? Bigger, stronger. All right? Daniel goes on. This is verse 43, or 41 through 43. And he describes the feet of the mixture of clay. Just as you saw, the feet and the toes were partly of clay and partly of iron. So this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw the iron mixed with clay. As the toes are partly of clay and partly of iron, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw, the iron mixed with clay, so the people will be a mixture and not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. Okay, so he's he told what the king what the dream was and now he's explained it all right now this is speculation but the break the breakup of the iron and clay represents or most likely represents the breakup of the roman empire eventually 500 years later okay and we know through history that when then then the uh roman empire broke up it formed all of the countries that now are created in europe and the mediterranean basin and all of that if you think about that, covers a lot of the earth. The influence goes far and wide, but some are strong, some are weak. They're not united. And that extends today. There's been no dominant world power ever since then. You know, the Roman, there's Roman influence all over the place, but never has there been since then a dominant world empire that rules the whole world since the Roman Empire. Okay. It's important to realize now that you picture, okay, picture the dream, picture this stone, again, that was not cut out by human hands. That's important. The stone doesn't strike the head or the chest or the belly or the legs. The stone strikes the feet, okay? And then the feet break up and crash down. The whole thing comes crashing down, splits into a billion pieces and blows away with the wind. And then that rock becomes a mountain, okay? That rock represents Jesus and Jesus second coming. So the rock comes and it breaks into that that's been broken up, represents Jesus's second coming in which uh, all mankind and everything that man has made and all of the influence and the some the weak and the some the strong and all of that is going to become crashing down and God is going to take over for once and for all. Everything built by human hands returns to dust. And God's kingdom takes over. Daniel continues. This is verse 44 and 45. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to other people. It will crush all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, but itself will rule forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. Remember, Jesus was not cut out by human hands. Only person to walk the earth, not to be conceived by humans. The rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold into pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future and shown us what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation 
is truthful and trustworthy. Okay, so now we've revealed this dream and Daniel's revealed the dream to the king. Here's what's going to happen, O king, in the future. And as we read that, he's telling us, here's what's going to happen in the future. Okay, don't know when, don't know exactly how, don't know the people involved, but here's what's going to happen in the future. And, and Daniel describes that kingdom. When once and for all, when God comes back and he establishes earthly kingdom that will last forever, he describes what that's going to look like for us. And here's the characteristics. First, it's not by made by human hands. He's very particular in saying that that kingdom, the once and for all kingdom that I will create when I come back for the final time will not be a human government. It will not be a human kingdom. It's going to be my kingdom. Okay. It will smash all the, uh, the earthly kingdoms. Ever since Jesus, we've been living in a time of, of God's love and grace, which allows opposition so that we've been given time to make choices to come back to God. Okay. But there will come a time. It's very clear to say there will come a time where that will all stop and God will bring his kingdom back once and for all. Time will stop. All of the things that are made by, by humans will stop and that'll be it. There will come a time. Reminds me of, I was having a conversation with uh, Joe Boone of uh, Answers in Genesis. Remember Joe and his wife were a part of our church before they moved down to be closer to uh, the Creation Museum. And he's kind of second in charge down there at the Creation Museum. And I was having a conversation with him. But this was leading up to the, uh, they were going to build the ark, which is now completed. And he was describing to me the program aspect of the ark, the ark eventually um, there would be the building phase number one and phase number two would be building out the kind of the town around Noah's Noah's town around the ark. And uh, <clears throat> he is describing all of that kind of programmatic stuff. And he was saying that uh, they're going to use the, the, the scripture of at some point the door is going to close. OK, Noah told the people around him. I'm building this ark. You think I'm crazy. But at some point the door is going to close. You can choose to join me. I hope you do. And for weeks and weeks and months and years and years, he told the people, hey, join me if you want to. This is what God's going to do. But at some point, that door is going to close and then it's going to be too late. And they're going to simulate that uh, programmatically down at the ark eventually in phase two. But that reminds me of this story. Daniel saying to the king and saying to us, at some point, that door is going to close. And you're not going to have any choice anymore. Okay. Another aspect of this kingdom is going to be eternal. So it's, it's going to encompass everything. It's going to last forever and ever and ever. And it's going to be immutable. Daniel 44 says plainly that the, the kingdom will be not left to other people. It'll be his forever. Okay. So what's this mean to us? This gets back to uh, my favorite part of every sermon or every lesson is the so what what does it mean? All of this is great. It's fun. It's fun to think about dreams and kind of cool futuristic stuff. But so what? What does it mean? Well, it means that I need to live as if I'm living in the last days. We don't know when that's going to happen. I need to be living right now as if I am living in those last days because that door is going to close at some point. It also needs to mean that I need to live my life with passion and with a goal to be holy every day. I need to respond in that way because I don't know 
when it will happen. You know, we can differ on a lot of things, like I described. Christians all over the world can differ on how, when, why, what. It's kind of fun to think about. We can differ in all of that. But what we cannot differ on and what we have to not differ on is that what the Bible says is true and is going to happen. All right. Let me give you an example as we kind of start to wrap up this. All right. We all know the gospel. We all know that God sent his son, Jesus, to walk the earth, to minister, to heal, to uh, tell people how they need to relate to God and to minister to the sick and the orphans and widows. We all know that. Okay, we know that he was eventually arrested and was sentenced to die on the cross via crucifixion in which his he was pierced in the hands and the feet. We all know the uh, circumstances that that surrounded him coming back into Jerusalem and the whole crucifixion, the trial and all of we, we all know that. Right. OK, it's 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 in our heads. We don't doubt that. And incidentally, it's not that we don't doubt it. It's not only because. That's the basis of our Christian faith, but it's because it's historical fact. We know that. Now, even the staunchest of atheists cannot deny or cannot argue that 2000 years ago or so. There was a man that walked the earth named Jesus that was born in what we now call Israel. That was a contemporary of Romans like uh, Caesar Augustus and, and of kings like King Herod. And that was eventually uh, sentenced to death by the Roman government and crucified. Those are all historical facts. You can go back in, in literature outside the Bible. And there, there are hundreds and hundreds of historical documents that, you know, that it's not a question, right? Okay, that's my point. We know that. Let me read you a couple of scriptures here. One says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Here's another scripture. This is a group of five verses. It says, I am poured out like water. You remember when, the, when he was speared on the cross and water came out? Okay. I am poured out like water and my bones are out of joint. Crucifixion. You're hung by your shoulders come out of joint. Okay. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. Remember, they gave him something to drink when he was hanging on the cross. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in dust of earth. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All of my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots from my garment. Sound familiar? Here's another verse. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding in on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. Sound familiar, right? We know that's true. Those verses were not written in the New Testament. Those verses were not a commentary on what happened. Each one of those, first one came from Isaiah. Second one came from Psalm. Third one came from Zechariah. Each written more than a thousand years before Jesus was even born. Written 500 years before crucifixion was even invented as a tool of torture. Are you kidding me? Somebody a thousand years before could just kind of dream up, well, I'm going to guess at what's going to happen. No. 
When the Bible says that something is going to happen, it's going to happen. Okay? Remember my definition, go back to my definition of faith, looking forward, the ability to look forward to the hindsight. There's going to come a time where Jesus comes back and hindsight is going to be completely irrelevant. When Jesus comes back and establishes kingdom, there will be no such thing as hindsight. The earth will be gone as we know it. The kingdom's governments will be gone as we know it. You can't look back because we're going to be in his kingdom and forever. Right. So hindsight's not an issue. But what Daniel is telling us on in the in this case is and this is what the phrase that pays for this week. All right. This week's phrase that pays. Daniel shows us that we must exercise foresight, the ability to look forward to what will be and to act accordingly. OK. Faith is something I'm confused. I don't know about what's going to happen in the future, but I have faith that, that, that God's working it out. OK. Foresight says I know what's going to happen in the future. Therefore, I need to respond accordingly to that. Well, how do we respond according to that? If Christ is your Lord and Savior today, you need to act accordingly to that. Act accordingly to what will be and act like it. Begin acting like it. If Christ is not your Lord and Savior, you need to make that right. Okay, we can speculate about the particulars. Like I said, we can do all that kind of fun or whatever. But all I know is if I am a child of God. That's going to be really, really, really good for me. Really, 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 really good. Eternally, really, really good. Right. So I don't it doesn't really matter so much to me about how, because I know it's going to be awesome. If I am not a child of God, it's going to be really, really, really bad for me eternally really 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 bad <laughs> and thirdly if i have an inkling of care about the people that are in my sphere of influence you know god uh, jesus was asked who's your neighbor and he said well pff, everybody's your neighbor right if i have an inkling of care for those people around me i need to help them understand this and i need to tell them so that it can be really really good for them. The door might close for you 50 years from now. I hope it does. The door might close for you on your way home today. God may come back tomorrow, could come back in a thousand years, don't know. I do know he's going to, though. And as I look around the people that I come in contact with, I need to look every single person in the eye and say to myself, does that person know Jesus? And if I don't think so, do I even give a rip whether it's really, really good or really, really bad for that person? That's why we go on missions trips. That's why we do swap things to Nigeria so people in Nigeria can learn how it can be really, really good for them. That's why I should invite my neighbor to church. That's why we have business trees so we can impact the people in our community that come to our businesses that have a mind for business, but a heart for ministry. That's why we do outreaches. That's why we're going to build and fix up the houses in Middletown for the people that have been caught up in the trafficking trade. That's why. So that the things have been revealed to us so that we can not just sit there 
and accept it. We could do something about it, say something about it, and impact the people that we think might be in a really, really, really bad spot when the door closes. So the phrase that pays is Daniel wants us to not just read and be all caught up in the whole dream thing, but to say to ourselves, do I have the foresight to look into the future at what will be and then act accordingly? And that's the question you need to go home with this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for uh, your scripture and your word that is sometimes really, really clear and sometimes not so much, but every time is done for a purpose. We love the fact that you love us and that you want us as your children and that you've given us the opportunity to be light in a dark world. And uh, Jesus, I just pray that you'd give each one of us the, the gumption and the extra courage to actually be that light. And uh, so I just pray upon every one of us in this room today that you'd give us extra courage and extra measure of, um, of just taking seriously what you would have for us. And uh, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Have a great morning.